Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Take your Bibles and open them up this morning with me to 2 Kings chapter 12. 2 Kings chapter 12. And um, I I will tell you a little bit about this morning. We're we're working through this series on on Sunday mornings called Offering Generosity. And the idea here is is that we've come to a time of the year where we are called to give a lot of ourselves, right? We have a lot of things going on at our church, especially where we donate things and food for needy families and gifts for people and shoeboxes and all these things. And so as we think about offering all of ourselves to the Lord and offering all of ourselves to other people, giving in a way that's generous, financially, yes, but in our time, talents, energy, and all of those things, we started looking last week at different aspects of giving. And the first one that we looked at is the idea of offering sacrifice. And what we talked about last week is, is that sacrificial giving honors the Lord, even if the gift is small. But comfortable giving really doesn't honor anybody, even if the gift is very large. And so what we talked about last week was mainly the motives in our giving and in us giving from a sacrificial place in our heart and not just giving out of abundance. Today, um, this is what the message is. The message is offering action today. And I, I want to confess something to you. So, like, I'll, I'll map out where we're going. So, like, you know, a while back I sent some texts out to Colton and some others that would say, like, this is what, our, this is what the sermon series is, this is what the sermon series is about, and it's kind of a rough outline of those things. And what struck me about the passage that we're going to read today is, is one thing, but then as you get into it and you start actually studying the, the week leading up to Sometimes the message just changes. It just does. And so that's what's happened this week. And so what I want to do is I want to present this passage from 2 Kings and us talk about it and talk about the life of Joash. And that's really what the message is today, the life of Joash. But in this giving vein, as we start thinking about that, there was one facet of this story that I, that I initially thought we would focus on. But I really feel that I need to share the whole of his life. And really what the message is about is about offering action. Here's the thing. The big idea for the message today is this. Good intentions and empty promises are no substitute for action. Good intentions and empty promises are no substitute for action. As we think about what we looked at last week, the New Testament directs us to give as we have decided in our heart. The New Testament directs us to give as the Lord has directed us to give. But at some point, we have to actually act. We have to actually give. We have to actually put forth that effort of service in giving our time, talents, and abilities. And so that's what we want to discuss today is the action part, that it doesn't matter what promises or intentions you have, there must be the follow-through of action. Some of you may remember the Jerry Clower story about the chandelier. If you have not heard that Jerry Clower, I won't tell it like Jerry Clower, but let me tell you the story, okay? The story is that the church proposed that they buy a chandelier. It was brought up in the business meeting. Someone stood and said, I, I make a motion that we buy a chandelier. Someone seconded the motion. The moderator called for discussion. Uncle Versi stood up in the back and said, I'm against buying this chandelier, and I'll tell you why. Chandelier is a fancy thing. 
And none of us are very fancy people. We have no education. In fact, I would say that among us, there's not one of us who could even spell the word chandelier. Secondly, if we buy that chandelier, there's not a single person that can play it. And I'm against buying the chandelier because it's expensive and all that money we would spend on it, what we really need in this church are some lights. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There you go. <laughs> you know what we're going to do next week? Next week's going to be open mic night. Just everybody show up. It's going to be great. Yeah. We're going to have a cover charge and everything will, be, everything will be paid. Cover charge for open mic night next week and all of these projects will get done. So anyway, as I was saying, the passage that you look at today has this facet in it about like church repairs and doing things around the church, right? And, and while, we, while we business meeting and while we vote and while we do all, at some point we have to like put our hands to, even our intentions and our promises about what we want to do in the church, all of those things are no good until we actually put action on them, right? And that's a portion of this story. But as we look at the full life of Joash, what you're going to see in this, whole, in this whole story is, is that what's even more tragic is aside from little projects or little acts of service that we might you know, put out there, little things that we might give intention or promises to, wouldn't it be really tragic if your whole life was nothing more than just like good intentions and empty promises? But when it came to the work of the Lord, you had not really surrendered or had not really committed your life to him. Let's read together the front part of this story, starting in 2 Kings chapter 12. We're going to read, we're going to start in verse 1. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to back up to chapter 11 and verse 21 and just pick up that one verse from chapter 11 and then we'll move forward in chapter 12. So Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash began to reign and reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. Because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of the persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take each from his donor. And let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had made no repairs on the house. Therefore, King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, 
The king's secretary and the high priest came up and bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and stonecutters, as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord and for any outlay for the repairs of the house. As we look at this passage, let me give you a few things before we dive into it um, that you need to know. You'll notice that as I was reading through that, I'm reading from the ESV, and this uses the word Jehoash, and and I'm often going to use Joash. It's the same person. Joash is just a shortened form of that. And a lot of times, Joash will be used because that name Joash is used to distinguish from another king. So at this time that we're reading this, there were two, um, there were two kingdoms there. Israel was comprised of two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we're reading here about Joash, who is a king in Judah in that southern kingdom. Now, you'll notice at the front part of this passage, it talks about Jehu. Right, who was the king in the northern part of the kingdom. But later on, while, while Joash is on the throne, there's going to be another king called Jehoash who will be king in the northern kingdom. And so at one point, you have two guys with virtually the same name on the throne in both places. And so I'm going to use the term Joash today, but you understand we're talking about the same person. But there is confusion because of that other king, Right. I'm going to lay out some of these things for us, and some of the portions of the story that I'm going to give today, you could use this chapter, you could use some of the previous chapters, and then you could also use 2 Chronicles chapter 24. So if you are maybe new, a new student of the Bible, you know, some of the books of the Bible are parallel to each other. And so Kings and Chronicles are two books that are parallel to each other in the way that they, they will talk about the same people, tell some of the same information. If you read them together, you get a fuller picture of what it looks like. Kings that we're reading actually focuses more on the northern kingdom of Israel. And Chronicles gives more information about the southern kingdom. That's kind of the focus of each book. But they give a lot of the same information. And so a lot of things that I'm going to be pulling from today, even though you might not find it right here where we're at if you were looking, you might be able to find it either in 2 Kings or in 2 Chronicles. So I want us to start where this story begins, and let's talk a little bit about intention. The first place, if, we're, if, if we start with good intentions and empty promises, it always starts with intention. You always have this motive to do the right thing or to do good things. I want to tell you a little bit about Joash, and I want to give you some background, because if you look at the first part of this The first verse that we looked at, the one back in chapter 11, it starts by saying that Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. And you think, well, seven-year-old king, how does that happen and how does that work, right? So let me give you a little bit of a background. And what I want to do to do that is I want to throw up this picture of a family tree, and I will try to explain it, but it's just a little diagram to help us understand and put all of these names together so that you can see it in a visual way, okay? So Joash that we're talking about is down at the bottom, but let's back up, okay? Because Joash's great-grandparents were Ahab and Jezebel. Those are probably familiar names to you guys, right? Ahab and Jezebel were, they were rulers in that northern kingdom of Israel. And if you read stories about Elijah and, you know, the prophets of Baal, that's Ahab and Jezebel. 
Ahab and Jezebel were extremely wicked rulers, and they were very ungodly. They, they were Baal worshipers, of course, but when you just read stories about Ahab and Jezebel, and she was meaner than he was, right, when you read through there. And so they're, they're wicked rulers. But way on back there, they had this daughter, Athaliah, and they married her off to the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. His name was Joram. He was not a good king either. Now, looking at the, the colors that I have up here, everybody that's in green, like Ahab, sat on the throne in Israel, in the northern kingdom. Everyone that I have in blue sat as a ruler in the southern kingdom. Okay, that's what the colors mean there. And so they married their daughter off, Athaliah. They married her off to Joram, who was this king in, the, in Judah, to build this alliance, I'm sure. When you read the story of Joram, he was not a good king. He ruled for eight years, and he died of this intestinal disease. Second Chronicles 21, I think, tells us that it, it attributes that intestinal disease to the Lord. It was a punishment from the Lord because of his disobedience on the throne, okay? So he dies. And when he dies, his son, Azariah, takes the throne, okay? Azariah was not a good king either, but Azariah only reigned for one year. And his reign was so short because Jehu that we read about here, that was the king of the northern kingdom, when he came to power, this, when he kind of overtook the throne from, from Ahab, he started killing off descendants. And Athaliah, I mean, Az, uh, Ahaziah got caught up in that. And so he was killed. And um, so his mom, Athaliah, who's still around here, she takes over the throne. And here's, here's where it gets, like, she picks some stuff up from her parents, right? She was very mean, too. So she had had parents who were rulers. She had had a husband who was a ruler. She had had a son who was a ruler. And now she decides she's going to be the ruler. And when she does, she doesn't want any hindrances to her rules. So she starts killing off her grandchildren so that she can have the throne. And so there, so that there would be no more descendants. Joram, I mean, Joash was one of her descendants there. But he, she missed out on him. Ahaziah, the son that was killed there, he had a half-sister, Joram's daughter, not Athaliah's daughter, who took Joash in and hid him, hid him and put him away, put him aside. And so she ruled, I think, for six years. I have it in my notes. Yeah, for six years. And she would be the only woman that would be on the throne in, in um, Judah. And while she ruled for six years... The guy that we're reading about in this story, his name comes up a couple of times. His name is Jehadiah, the priest. Uh, this priest that, you're, that we're reading about in this passage, he was married to the daughter. He was married to Joash's aunt. And so this was his aunt and uncle. And the priest that we're reading about here, Jehadiah, in the text, that was his uncle. And so he staged this coup and killed Athaliah, this, this one who'd killed all our grandchildren, killed her, and put Joash on the throne at seven. And when you think about that, you would think, well, he did that so that he could get power. Seven years old, what little seven-year-old boy is running this kingdom? Jehadiah and his wife 
killed this woman and put this little boy on the throne so that they could use him as like this puppet king. But when you read through the text, at some point along the way, that may have been in the beginning, but at some point along the way, Joash begins to assume some of those responsibilities for himself. And you definitely see Jehadiah becoming subservient to his nephew who is on the throne. When he was seven years old, he had this mentor in the priest. Jehadiah was a good mentor and teacher to him. And it says, you'll notice in verse 2, that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days. Why was he a good king? Why did he do that? Because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Because he had this good mentor and teacher. And it seems that Joash was a good and willing student and all that's, all that's great, right? All the years that he was mentoring him, it seems that Joash obeyed the Lord. Even though Jehadiah may have been running things in the beginning or he may have been a, Joash may have been a puppet king near the beginning... As when you get down to verses 4 and 5, it's Joash that's laying out the plan to make repairs on the temple. It's Joash that's doing that. It's probably this plan that both of them had discussed and talked about. It was probably born in Joadiah's thoughts that, that you know, he passed that love for God's house on and expressed the need for it in Joash. But by the time you get to verses 4 and 5, Joash is not a puppet king. He's making the decree that the things happen in the temple, that the repairs get made to the house of God. Now, when you think about the, the pattern here of the evil kings, when Athaliah was on the throne, especially, she, she followed the ways of her parents. And so think about for a moment that the temple or the house of God is in disrepair because the people have not been honoring the house of the Lord. She was a Baal worshiper. She worshiped all of these idols, and the people did. The people during that time, they would be swayed by their ruler so many times, and Israel had this inclination for it anyway. We in our sinful natures love false gods that we make them out to be who we want them to be. So the people had gone up into the hills and they would make these little altars and shrines and all those things up in the hills and they had not been worshiping the Lord in the house of God, in the temple. In fact, if you go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 7, it says, the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, isn't that interesting? <laughs> That's what he calls her. Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and he'd used all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. And so Joash and Jehadiah, they come up with this plan that we're going to rebuild the temple. They have great intentions. That, that's what should have happened. And they had really good intention there. But I want you to see the second part of this story, which is procrastination. Because so many times intention doesn't lead to action, does it? Intention often leads to procrastination. And that's what you find. The focus verse here is, on, is in verse 6. When you get down to verse 6, we don't know the amount of time between Joash's announcement in verses 4 and 5, his plan in verses 4 and 5, and then in verse 6, we don't know about the 23rd year. That would make him, that would make him 30 years old when he decides to 
take some action. So we don't know when it was between 7 and 30, ages 7 and 30, that Joash made the proclamation in verses 4 and 5. But we do know that his frustration is expressed in verse 6 when he was 30 years old because the things that he wanted to happen in the temple hadn't happened yet. Jehodiah was in charge of that, and it seems to be something he was passionate about because he had passed this passion on to Joash. He had kind of led him to do that. So why had they procrastinated in the work of the Lord? When you read people talk about this, or when you just kind of make some assumptions on your own about what's going on here, we could probably give some reasons. One reason that people talk about is that maybe Jehoiada and the other priests were greedy. Because if you look at the plan that's spelled out in verses 4 and 5, it would be offerings that were brought in, and all of those offerings that were brought in into the house of the Lord, they weren't designated in the, in the same way that we talked about last week during the, you know, in the temple things. And so he says all of those things that are brought in, that would have been what would have, the priests would have lived on. And so some people have said that the repairs didn't happen because Jehoiada and the other priests were greedy. They just saw the extra offerings, any offerings put in for the repairs on the temple, they would slip into their pocket and they were, they were living well and their families were being supported while the work in the house of the Lord was going undone. That's possible. That's sometimes how people behave, right? Remember, in a future generation, when Haggai would speak, when the prophet Haggai would speak, these are his words, Haggai chapter 1, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So in Haggai's day, that's what people were doing, right? The temple had been destroyed, and, and they, instead of rebuilding it, they were living in houses that were paneled and well-decorated and, and very nice houses while the house of the Lord was in disrepair. And so some people have said that's what's happening with Jehoiada. I don't believe that. I'll give you some reasons in just a in just a minute, but that's one route that you could go down is that Jehoda had great intentions, but when that money started coming in, he began to procrastinate because it was like a, an extra payday for him. Maybe the funds and the plan that Jehoash laid out in verses four and five, maybe the plan that he laid out, maybe the money that was coming in just wasn't sufficient to get the work done. The temple was in disrepair. And you know why the temple was in disrepair? Because people had not been honoring the Lord or worshiping him. So if people had not been coming to the temple and had not been honoring the Lord, do you think that the offerings were very high? They weren't, there wasn't a lot coming in for this. And so, most likely, it was the fact that people were, may have been giving, even if they were giving, it, it could be that it was not enough to provide for all the repairs that needed to be made because we don't know the extent of the of the damage done to the house of the Lord. Maybe that's it. I could see that being a, a one thing. But you know something else that if you just take into account the human equation here, it's just apathetic procrastination. Do you know how we'll just kind of get complacent and things will just kind of slip our mind? Or we put it off till a little bit later because surely the time will come, you know? Maybe that's what was happening here. Maybe he just drug his feet because if you look to the text, it seems as if they have a habit of dragging their feet anyway. Go back to verse 3. 
Nevertheless, while they were doing all these good things, the high places were not taken away. That's talking about all those little shrines and altars to all those false gods up on the hill. What you'll find is many times a king who's interested in his people being godly will go to those places and kind of tear them out and say, no more of this. When we worship, we're going to worship in the house of the Lord. But they did not do that. They drug their feet there. But it could be that there was no ulterior motive, no greed. It was just, that was just the way it was. But it's very clear that in verses 4 and 5, the pronouncement that Joash had made, Jehoiada, there was some procrastination and it didn't get done. So let's look at the last part of this story, the execution portion. You see the intention and procrastination portion, but at some point what we need is execution because remember, empty promises and good intentions are no substitute for action. So we can kind of learn that Based on this, what we know is that Joash was not a puppet king. Here in verse 7, he calls out Jehoiada and the other priests and calls for some accountability. Now, you'll notice after, in verses 7 through 12, the reason that I don't believe that the priests were taking advantage of this system is because they are very involved in, the, in kind of like the rehabilitated system. In the, in the revamped system, the priests are, already, are still involved. It doesn't seem that what's happening in verses 7 and 8 is that, that Joash is punishing the priests. He takes the responsibility from them, and he says, we're going to look to, to raise this money in a new and different way. And so none of those other funds from before, your, your, uh, the, the support for your families is not going to be taken away, but we're going to have to find another way to raise this money to be able to get this job done because we need to execute. We can't just have empty promises and intentions forever. And so what you find in verse 9 is Joash is making what some of us have come to know as a chest of Joash, right? He takes this box, sets it out front, and it's a place where people will come and drop money for what we would call a special offering. You know, sometimes we'll take a special offering for a thing. That's what they were doing. He said, look, it's not going to be something that's, that's going to be in the in the work of the church, it's going to be something special, something different that people will give above and beyond. For some reason, it seems that this new project kind of maybe reinvigorated the people to give because what we see is, is that the temple guards that were there, the priests that were there, they would recognize when the, when the chest was full and they would take that money and weigh it out to workmen who would get the job done. The priests are involved, but Joash goes about it in a different way and there seems to be some accountability that's involved in these verses after kind of moving forward. Joash followed through with the plan. Now, when I think about these three things that we have on the board here, and we just kind of think about maybe our own life, just kind of work through those in our own lives, because this story kind of has a practical turn for us as well, right? So I thought about maybe a practical application of this story of Joash for us, we have some of those same similar issues, right? We have, this, we have a lot of things around here that need to be done. We have a lot of big projects that need to be done. And when we think about the fact that, that we have, we've kind of had a method where we've been pulling some money aside and, and, and everything that's given in our regular offerings, we kind of take a percentage of that and we've been putting it aside and, and, and kind of stowing that away for some of these big projects that need to be done, but I will be honest with you, first one thing and another have happened. So like last, this past year, our HVAC units have decimated that, that little fund, right? 
but those still those big projects still need to be done. When we meet, I'm I'm assuming that we would like to be comfortable and, and warm and, and cold, you know, warm in the winter and, and cold in the summertime, but you know, those still those big projects still need to be done. And so it doesn't matter what our intention is or what promises we have out there, those some of those things still need to be done. When we think about our own personal giving, there's kind of this practical application, right? Because we have these offering boxes at the back and places that we have around where we have set aside to give to the work of the Lord. But, you know, as we talked about last week about the importance of giving as the Lord has, has directed us in our heart, as, as we're able to give. And if you're not a regular giver, you know, the, I, I would say that, let me back up. I would say that if we were just go around this room and say, who, who would like to give to the work of the Lord? Most people want to give to the work of the Lord and help out and be a contributing, cooperating member to the things that we're doing here at Center Grove. That's what people want to do. But our intention is not the same thing as execution. And that middle step is typically what happens. Many people who are not regular givers... It's very hard to get in that habit of regularly giving. And so you come through those doors, and you're not prepared to do it, but you see that box, and you think, that's something I need to start doing. I need to start giving regularly to the work of the Lord. Next week, you come in, and you say, I need to start giving next Sunday. I need to start giving. David's talked about those big projects. There's some things we need to do around here. I need to be a contributing member of that. I need to give next week. Come at Right? That's just how we are. That's the human factor. That's just kind of what happens with us. And we procrastinate and put off in the execution of it. And so we, we end up failing to ever actually do it because we're just procrastinating in it. But what's, what's even worse, like those things are, are really important and practical for our church. Those things are very true. I feel like when I read verses 1 through 12, it's, it's like a picture of kind of what's going on with us right now. Like we have this system in place to be able to do that. And whether our funds are not enough, whether our system's flawed, whatever the thing, we still have those big projects that we need done, right? They're not, they're not, being, they're not getting done. But in the same sense, as I look to it and I think about personal giving, as I continue to read the story of Joash, there are so many implications that when you read his story for our own life. So when we read this story, it seems as if Joash is kind of, I don't want to say the hero of this story, but sort of, right? Like, Joash is the guy who seems to be honoring the work of the Lord. Jehovah and him come up with this plan. But who actually performs and gets the execution done? It's Joash. We read this story having left verse 12 with a favorable picture of Joash. But when you read the rest of his story, there is another angle that is wrapped up in all of this. If you want to jump with me, I'm going to spend a little time reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. And so if you just continue to go a little bit further in your Bible to 2 Chronicles 24, let's pick up this, this in 2 Chronicles because Chronicles focuses mainly on that southern kingdom of Judah and there's a little more information that's given here for us. But I want you to note what happens in Joash's life because it's good to have a practice where we, even if we have intention to give or to cooperate or to, maybe it's service in our church. Maybe it's a thing where you would say, I have intention to get involved with this ministry or that ministry, but we just procrastinate and never execute. That's one thing in the work of the Lord. But what if we spend our whole life having intention about it, but never actually executing 
You know, this morning in Sunday school, we read about a group of people that on the day of judgment will stand before him and say, Lord, Lord. But he'll say, I never knew you. So there's some kind of intention, but there's not execution. Look at his life. Look at his life. I want to read this passage in 2 Chronicles 24. Let's start in verse 17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, that's the priest, remember, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Sounds like they're buttering him up. And the king listened to them. Look at verse 18. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they served the Asherim and the idols. And the wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. The Asherim, when you see Asherim or Asherah in Scripture, you can equate that with Baal. It's not the same thing. Baal is this Canaanite god, and if you've seen the little statues of him, remember he had the big pointy hat like a dunce's cap? But, his, but Asherah is in the mythology his mother. In Asherah, there was like this worship of Asherah too, and typically Asherah was worshipped with a decorated pole. Um, think about the old maypole idea. Remember how, you know, that's like a really, really old idea, but that maypole idea of decorating a pole, flowers, ribbons, all those things would kind of be a modern-day look at kind of how they would have depicted or how they would have worshipped Asherah. And so here's this guy, Joash, who only follows the Lord as long as Jehoiada's alive. But as soon as Jehoiada's dead, it seems as if Joash did not have a faith that was his own. It seems that for all of his good things and good intentions in the beginning of his life, he turned away from the Lord. Keep reading and you'll see how the Lord tries to get his attention. But instead of acting on that, it's met with procrastination. Look at verse 19. Yet he sent some prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. The Lord sent this, I believe. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, listen, and by command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, Zechariah said, May the Lord see and avenge. Think about, think about the intensity of what we just read. Having given you all the backstory that I gave you about Joash, Jehoiada and his wife were the ones who saved his life and raised him as their own. Who hid him? So if Zechariah is their son, he's their, that's Joash's cousin, and they seem to have been raised really close together. So this might even be more like a brother. We don't know the difference in their ages and all that, but they may have been more like brothers than like cousins. And when God sends Zechariah to call for him to repent, he commands him to be stoned, his own cousin, 
as close as a brother in the house of the Lord. God tries to get his attention. When you look to the New Testament, um, I think it was uh, Chad, I think you were talking this morning about the woes that you find in, in Matthew. And Jesus at one point will condemn the Jewish people because he says, you, the prophets that God sent to you, you would kill the prophets that God sent. This is who Jesus is talking about. This is the place where Jesus is speaking of. God would send prophets to them, but Joash continued in his own way instead of what he knew to be the right. Keep going in the story. Verse 23, it says, At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they killed him on his bed. So he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Joash knew the right way. He began his life with great intention, great promises for his future. But yet when the Lord called him to repent, it was met with, pra- with procrastination, but ultimately with inaction, no execution. And what you find is Joash dying in a place of disgrace and away from the Lord. Listen, I, I know that we all come in here and we make big time promises. We were, we, were talking last, uh, we were talking last night that it was about this time last year. You know, Noah's a big Taylor Swift fan. Um, we had told him, we had told him, and his birthday's in October, so we had told him last year, like, if, if it works out, hear, hear me. If it works out, we're going to try to get some Taylor Swift tickets for you, you know, to go see Taylor Swift. But we had to stress if it works out because it was another month before we could buy the tickets and them go on sale and all that sort of stuff. And then was all that chaos of whatever. Well, it, it all worked out and we, we saw the, you know, the fanfare, you know, all that. It was amazing, let me tell you, by the way. I, I, I watched the whole concert like this. They sang their hearts out, and I sat there like this. But we had to stress to Noah, man, this this might not happen. We're promising you this, but you need to understand this may be a promise that we can't follow through on. Sometimes we'll come to God and we'll say, God, you know, if you'll just get me out of this pickle, then I will. Sometimes we have no, even as we're saying it, we have no intention that we're going to do that. Sometimes we have all the intention in the world, but God comes through for us, and we we don't follow through on our end. Sometimes we send in a service, and we've come with intention of worshiping God, of him speaking to our heart, But we get in this service and he begins to prick our heart about a thing and put his finger on something and we say, "Mm, not today, God, not today. Maybe some other time, but not today. 
Maybe God speaks to us about about giving regularly, about serving in an area of ministry in our church, about doing something for someone in our community or around us, a, a thing that could be the, the, the key that would unlock the door to them coming to Christ, experiencing the love of Jesus and seeing that in us. And, and, and we have great intentions, but we never send that text or we never make that meal or we never make that visit or we never have that conversation And in every one of those instances, good intentions and empty promises are no substitute for action. In fact, this morning, I would tell you that in just a minute, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to sing. And everything we do in that service, everything we do in this service is, is leading up to the moment where we will do that, right? Because we look to God's word. And these last few minutes of our service are not about manipulating a person into doing a thing they don't want to do. That's not what this altar call is about. What we're doing in these moments is we're looking at our, based on what we've seen in Scripture, we're looking at our own life, and God is showing us and revealing to us who we are and what needs to change in our own life. And it could be this morning that the thing that he's revealing to you is, hey, you've given me lots of empty promises. You seem to have good intentions, but what I want for you to do is I want you to follow through. I want you to follow through. I want you to surrender to the thing that I'm calling you to do. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Rooted and Resolved is a ministry of Center Grove Baptist Church. You can find us at centergrovebaptist.com.